We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, but even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Yeah, the drug policy problem. We're going to speak about that and a whole bunch of other issues on today's Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is uh, Jim Rubens, an old friend of mine. Yeah, he's a Republican. I'm a uh, traditional Democrat, uh, and he is running for U.S. Senate. Jim Rubens, thanks very much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Bert, it's a delight to be here. Traditional Democrat. Absolutely. You're, you're more than that. Way, way more than that. Well, I don't know. Should I ask? <laughs> you're a you're a fighting Democrat. You're uh, you're true. out to you're out to reform the system. <laughs> that is true, and traditional, traditional implies a sort of a quietude. I don't think that's you. Ah, uh, well, that's true too. I think the same <laughs> could be said of Mr. Jim Rubens here, who is yeah. uh, uh, a, a Republican for sure, and uh, uh, always speaks his mind. Sometimes, uh, you know, against uh, the grain, and has achieved some uh, significant victories. Not the least of which is uh, defeating uh, the threat of uh, widespread gambling in New Hampshire and having the state back up uh, that wonderful addiction and depend on it and uh he's got heck of an introduction jim and i for all disclosure jim and i worked in the state senate together he was a uh, state senator from the hanover area i was state senator from the portsmouth area what years were you in there jim i forget 94 to 98 ah well just a couple of terms i was in there yep two terms then i uh oh but you made your mark and I, I ran. Yeah, I got I got the things I promised done, and then I, I ran for governor. Ah, yes, and you may have noticed he did not become governor. Now he is running uh, against the well, challenging the establishment candidate Kelly Ayotte for sure, running for United States Senate. And this introduction is somewhat long, but it's an interesting introduction. Uh, Jim Rubens is a serial small business entrepreneur. I like that. Starting up a bunch of new businesses. Who lives with his family in Hanover. One of the great parts of uh, New Hampshire makes his living investing in commercial real estate and New England technology and healthcare start startups. He attended Dartmouth College studying chemistry and electronic music. Well, that was early for that. Over the past 20 years, Jim has been involved in every facet of New Hampshire politics. He's led and prevailed in multiple fights against the establishment. In his first run for office, he successfully primaried the sitting uh, Republican and name only Senate president. And in the state Senate, Jim launched the uh, debate leading to New Hampshire's electricity competition law, which is a good thing again, and then fought multiple PSNH, uh, formerly uh, PSNH, now Eversource, ratepayer-financed bailouts, taking on the big guys there. And PSNH's power should never be underestimated in the legislature. They are the uh, big elephant in the room. He led the fight 
against the unions to pass SB2, the secret ballot voting. I'm sure we voted on opposite sides on that one. And wrote and led passage of the state's victim restitution and charter school laws. Uh, He forced then-Governor Shaheen to veto his popular bill to end teacher tenure. Jim's voting record earned him an A rating from the NRA on uh, gun rights. The NRA uh, never really liked me. That's all right. The feeling was mutual. Uh, Jim has chaired the uh, New Hampshire uh, Republican Party Platform Committee and served as spokesperson and senior policy advisor to former Senator Gordon Humphrey. In his run for governor, Jim ran for governor in 1998, earning endorsement by the union leader. And in 2014, he ran for U.S. Senate, raising $2.5 million and earning the endorsement by the Republican uh, Liberty Caucus. Well, let's start with that. What is the Republican Liberty Caucus? Where do they fit in with the Republican Party? Well, like um, like on the Democratic Party side, there are factions, there are parts of the Republican Party. And I'll break them maybe into four parts now. Uh, this is this is rough, but you got the establishment part. These are yeah. these are people who've long been part of the party and and uh, um, yeah, part of a club. Mainstreamish, mainstreamish. Yes. Uh, and then then there are the um, then there are the uh, the social conservative part of the party, mm-hmm. uh, for whom the uh, traditional values are 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 prime, very, very important. Then there are the uh, the populist parts of the party. The mm-hmm blue-collar Democrats who Ronald Reagan brought over into our party, who are many of whom are now behind Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. These are working people concerned about um, the state of the American economy and wages and whether jobs are coming back to America or not. And then there are the, the, the libertarian Republicans, uh, people who actually advocate the core values of the Republican Party, You know, basically small government and more personal freedom. And these four factions uh, sometimes mm-hmm. agree, sometimes disagree. And the party gets bigger and stronger, and uh, we win elections when the, when the factions get together. Right now, in both parties, yes. you look at you look at our primary back in February. We had landslides on, by the anti-establishment candidate, Absolutely. both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, in February, right here in New Hampshire. Landslide wins by both, and it it says something about where the American public is across the spectrum. People are sick and tired of what Washington looks like. It looks like it's in the business of uh, getting rich. People get down there, they get rich, they do work for themselves, they work hard to get reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, your typical U.S. senator leaves office and then becomes a lobbyist, earns two yes. to three million bucks a year, and so it looks to Americans <laughs> very much, and I agree with this, like they've forgotten about doing the work of the whole people. And it's not like they get paid uh, a pittance. What is it like? Uh, one hundred seventy, one hundred eighty k a year. I mean, it's, it's not too shabby. <laughs> expensive living down there, but oh yeah, but they get uh, a budget for that as well for their staff, and uh, yeah, it, it, one could certainly live off of that. And and the whole idea, I think that that Jim and I, Democrats, and most Republicans, well, not all Democrats share, is a government of, by, and for. The people, self-government, self-government. And I think what a lot of people see right now is in both parties, kind of a club. You know, the club has to protect itself. You got on the Democratic side, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, cozying up with uh, the uh, establishment candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton. And it's it's less about fighting for principles and ideas and, and really improving the country, I think, too, than... Uh, Self-preservation, keeping their oh. jobs so they can keep the gravy train keep keep the gravy train rolling. Oh yeah, I, I, I use 
two examples. One of them impugns Republicans and one impugns Democrats. Oh, good. Uh, the first one's in the weeds, and I can't get deep into it. It's something called group purchasing organizations. Hospitals mm-hmm. uh, have this middleman, this GPO organization that was given by Congress exemption from antitrust law so they can... Uh, they can monopolize the supply of basic hospital medical supplies and generic drugs, and it explains these incredible shortages and price spikes of very basic stuff like propofol and anesthetic or uh, mm. basic antibiotics. And uh, <clears throat> there have been attempts over the years to remove the antitrust exemption from these GPOs. They are allowed under law to pay kickbacks to hospital executives and to nonprofit hospitals uh, as a whole in order to maintain their monopoly uh, supply status with with these gr- groups of hospitals that they supply. So there's been an attempt over the years to get rid of this antitrust exemption, and mm-hmm. uh, hearings were, uh, were, were projected to be had, and Chuck Schumer went nuclear, even at the thought of having a public hearing where the cost impacts of this GPO exemption, because it drives up the cost of basic medical I supplies. Can imagine. On my side, and the Republican side, is the fact that the largest purchaser of drugs in the world, which is Medicare, spends a hundred, we, our government spends a hundred billion dollars a year on pharmaceuticals, and Congress forbids Medicare from negotiating for the cost of pharmaceuticals. I know, that is amazing. Now, those two things, one of them protected on the left, more or less, and one protected on the right uh, for by Republicans, both are examples of what really angers voters about Washington. These things do not help Americans, and yeah. it's got to change. Yes, indeed. I, it, it clearly does, and there's a lot of that, both anger and and hope for a better government, a, a better republic, you know, republic of the people yep. uh, on, on both sides of the aisle. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, our guest today is Jim Rubens, uh, sort of anti-establishment candidate for Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. And the Republicans have a seemingly very popular incumbent U.S. Senator now in Kelly Ayotte. Why did you decide to challenge her? popular not popular at the grassroots level in the state. Uh, I've been on the phone and met many, many people, and her voting pattern, I mean, this this might mean something more to Republicans than, than Democrats, but she voted for the Cromnibus and Omnibus budgets. Uh-huh. Uh, these are the last two budget outlines went through Congress, and these two budgets uh, loaded a one and one-half trillion dollars onto the national debt. This is just over the past 17, 18 months, one and a half trillion dollars. No one expects anyone to pay this. Uh, it, it put in place thousands of tax breaks, crony capitalist tax breaks, and it raided $150 million from Social Security to pay for Social Security disability, which some people call welfare because of the abuse in that area. <clears throat> and and <clears throat> that vote bothers conservatives. Uh, Senator Ayotte's uh, cheerleading for Hillary Clinton's succession of failed nation-building wars. The uh-huh. recent one that Hillary Clinton was crowing about is her, her uh, having having coaxed Obama into getting, President Obama into getting involved in Libya. We took out Gaddafi, and what happened there? Uh, failure. Oh, we have chaos. Absolutely. We have ISIS now operational in, uh, yeah. in Saudi Arabia, and uh, of course, Hillary Clinton cheerled for that. But the person I'm running against, the incumbent, was cheerleading for Hillary Clinton on getting involved in this war. Okay. And and the mm. Pentagon, our military leaders, warned these people yes. in advance of their action 
this intervention will lead to chaos. It will not lead to democracy building. So uh, th- these are areas that, that, that concern base Republicans. Uh, Senator Ayotte's vote, she promised not to vote for amnesty. And again, this may mean more to, to Republicans and, and Trump voters With than Democrats. To, but to immigrants, she yeah. promised not to vote for it and then went ahead and voted for gang of aid amnesty, which, which would have brought 30 million more legal immigrants into the United States over a 10-year period. And, and the problem here that it impacts working families, when you flood the marketplace with, with low-wage labor, mm-hmm. you drive down wages. And people mm. are very sensitive about this issue on, on the right and left. People have been under, American families have been under a lot of wage pressure. Incomes are down over the past 15 years, and the cost of living is way up. And, and this pressure has led to, I think, a part of the frustration people feel with Washington voting for policies like this trade promotion agreement, uh, the yes. TPP. Oh. Senator Ayotte voted for that, too. Did she okay? Oh, and, and this drives down wages. It exports jobs. People are done with this. And yeah, I, I, if you're in Washington, your lobbyists are all around you telling how, how, what a wonderful thing this is, this creative destruction. Well, American families' lives are being destroyed in this creative d- destruction. We're bleeding money on, on a trade deficit, and we're exporting jobs. It's certainly the case, and, and Democrats and Republicans are both, I think, equally guilty, unfortunately, of this whole trade thing. That yes. uh, you know, it goes back yep. to the the first Bill Clinton, uh, first Clinton administration, which hopefully will be the final Clinton administration. <laughs> I will say, uh, uh-huh. but uh, it, it, pushing for NAFTA. And they're supposed to bring new jobs here. It didn't bring jobs. And you talk about, you know, immigrants coming here. Uh, there's this whole race to the bottom, which has been going on for quite some time. The idea of trade, uh, to a large extent, is that, you know, if you ship jobs overseas where people get, uh, you know, decent wages here, you pay pennies on the dollar in, in foreign countries. And they have fewer uh, environmental restrictions as well. And trade, of course, uh, subsidizes that. Your tax dollars, my tax dollars, are being used to uh, destroy the American economy. It seems. Yep. The- and so this is this is debate inside the Republican Party, the free trade debate, and and free trade is theoretically a great thing if one country that does something very well can add product to another country, and then that other country that imports that product does what is it does well and then exports that to the world and it balances out and so consumers all over the world get the advantage of the, of the best possible sourcing for for products and services and if it's balanced out uh you don't have these enormous we have these 500 billion dollar a year trade deficits in the US and with these trade deficits we wind up exporting jobs and depressing american wages so yes if it's free trade that is balanced but no if it's just the giant sucking sound that yeah. Osborough talked about in that NAFTA, right. and this is what it's proven to be. Yes, and and so I I I, I, uh, I really differ with Senator Ayotte and Hillary Clinton's. She did flip on TPP, but yeah, I, I, I differ <laughs> with their approach to this. Uh, it makes Washington lobbyists happy, but it is not working for American workers. Yeah, and it seems to me, back in 1776, there was a bit of a uh, a dust-up, and, you know, (laughs) it was was about a government, you know, they had a government uh, under England that served the aristocracy, government of, by, and for the super-rich and powerful. We've had that before, and it seems like we're having it again. 
And I yeah. would think right and left are starting to agree that, you know, hey, it's supposed to be about us, about we the people. You mentioned uh, yeah. Hillary Clinton. She was for the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, 45 times, and then eh, when she mm. saw the numbers, uh, she said she was against it if somehow she became president. Jim, you know she would support it again. Of course she would. She you know, just flips back and forth. But this is about uh, you running uh, for U.S. Senate. How would you like to see trade uh, structured? If you if you could uh, have your policy there, I mean, we need some sort of trade with other countries. I know... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Trade amongst the countries of the world is a good thing, but trade deals that are written and designed and written in in secret that members of Congress are not allowed to read until moments before votes that are not allowed to be examined by the public. Uh, The only way I know about some of the bad provisions of this TPP trade deal is because parts of it were leaked uh, on WikiLeaks and I was able to read it in in draft form (laughs) and uh, and deals that have to come before Congress that cannot be uh, amended in any way. Uh, I'll I'll tell you one provision of this trade deal that, that is unconstitutional and uh, yes. doesn't get a lot of debate is this uh, investor dispute resolution system where you have a yes. panel of three arbitrators appointed by corporations and should a country uh, assert that the United States passed a law that resulted in lost future profits or lost projected future profits for a particular a foreign co- country this three panel three member panel of arbitrators can impose on US taxpayers reimbursement for those lost future profits. So, for example, if the United States wants to put in a law protecting workers against uh, arsenic, or name name it, and uh, they could go and charge <laughs> charge the United States taxpayers for this, and bypassing completely our, our system of justice, it's completely unconstitutional to delegate assignment of taxes to an unelected panel of arbitrators. Yeah, that's that- in this deep. This is this is just untenable. It is rather uh, surprising, and it's interesting how some of the uh, things that have been said in the past that may have been, uh, uh, you know, looked down on, like when Ross Perot was saying that he heard a giant sucking sound. You know, he, history has proved him correct for sure. Yeah, it was it was very controversial at the time, but now now we can see what's happened when, you know, as it, we have we have. I mean, look at bottom of the bottom of the great recession let's say 2007 2008 now mm-hmm. the, the number of jobs have come back again yeah. we, we lost 6. Point some, something million of them they're back again but the jobs that have come back don't pay as much right. they have fewer benefits more of them are part time and so job security is is so if you look at these unemployment numbers they really don't capture the stress on american families the economic stress on american families and 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 this comes back in part You know, the economy works by itself. I'm a free market Mm, person, but mm. government policies like lousy trade deals, like flooding the market with H-1B visas that Senator Ayotte has voted for repeatedly to take good-paying American engineering jobs and replace them with foreigners, this stuff is putting pressure, and this this is Washington policy. This is bought and paid for Washington policy, crony capitalist policy. It is hurting working families, and it's got to stop. Well, how can I mean, most economists say, "Look, our you know the the days of like in Detroit and environs when an average person with a high school education could count on a good manufacturing job for the rest of his or her life." 
and apparently, you know, you hear those days are gone. Is yep. how can we, by relying on the on the free market system, uh, as I think I heard you say, how can we can we become a manufacturing country again? Well, we're not we're not going to go back to the past, but right. but look at Germany, for example. My sister lives in Germany. Okay, they are a, they are a heavily manufacturing economy. And yes. You go over there and you see uh, very good paying manufacturing jobs. They are able by by virtue of pushing the envelope hard on quality and innovation. They're sure. able to uh, they're they're able to maintain a significant number of of those jobs in that in that nation. Uh, there are policies that result in that in, in their education policies, but and, and which would not be acceptable in the U.S. But but you, it shows that you can run an advanced nation with high quality of life with manufacturing jobs and compete worldwide. Interesting, yeah, because they know, I mean, we know the quality is there. It's true. I mean, German uh, engineering, let's face it, is is respected and well-known. You know, it's a heck of a good brand. I don't know, (coughs) excuse me, about the U.S. brand these days. Well, I get, get you know, I got a company up in, in my area in Lebanon called Hypertherm. They are the uh, in fact, there are three companies in my area, the Upper Valley, that compete in plasma cutting technology, and uh, hmm. they own these three companies combined have uh, some big over half of world market share just in this little Upper Valley in, in this this product category. They pay well, uh, they, they very good job security and advancement uh, opportunities, uh, and they've maintained this by by uh, pushing their technology envelope to the point where they are. You know, competitive, but even with China. So there is a place in America for manufacturing. It's going to be advanced manufacturing. Uh, skill levels are going to be higher, but we can do this in the United States. Now, how can it be done? Uh, how can there be a real free market solution? Don't there have to be uh, subsidies, uh, be they tax credits, uh, things like that? Uh, you know, I know they've been the solar industry has been uh, criticized for uh, you know the government picking a winner, but right. can a free market left you know un unreined in you know unbridled uh, solve these problems? Do you think? Well, I, I, I'm in favor of, um, as you may have seen on my website, or uh, I'm, I'm in favor of pre-commercial R&D, uh, re- research and development. There, there is a role for the federal government and for governments to push the envelope of technology that is just beyond the capacity of the free market to ever, ever justify or see returns. It's, it's basic science, basic engineering, blue sky stuff, and we've done this. And uh, in, in, the, in, in Congress, there was support under Bush too to increase, actually double the budget for what's called the National Institutes of Health. We spend about $30 billion a year of taxpayer money, supported by both Democrats and Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, this, this change, and uh, for blue sky competitive research, uh, proposals for grants come in, and we have, through this process, we have done things like we're on the verge of curing blood cancers now. Wow. And this has come painfully, painfully, slow research to illuminate the molecular basis of of this disease and and we can do this in other we've done it in defense of course where uh, we lead yes. the world in defense technology mm-hmm. and that comes from taxpayer funded uh, R&D in DARPA the defense advanced research project administration i see the same potential in energy not for solindra not for government involved in picking companies over one other company that distorts the marketplace it slows down the process of technological evolution but in in areas of photonics uh, quantum mechanics uh, uh, material science 
we need to invent cheaper energy that's on a declining cost curve that we can export to the world the same as we do with health health sciences because we've been become the world leader oh, in health and medical sciences technology we export to the world uh, products that are curing disease yes. and the jobs come and you can particularly see this in new hampshire certainly in boston boston is a boom town oh, now yeah. as a result of biotech and and that has stemmed and flowed from a, uh, a commitment agreed to by Democrats and Republicans in Congress to push technology, basic pre-commercial technology. Then that knowledge is sent off to the private sector. The private sector takes the ball from there. Government should not be involved in commercializing uh, technologies. Uh, government cannot do a good job in that because you, mm. you, you take entrepreneurs and you force them to go to Washington down to the pig's trough and give <laughs> campaign contributions oh, yes. and distort regulations. Uh, that That's the wrong way to do things. But but I am in favor. I, I do see a government role for pre-commercial R&D. Interesting. And, and yep. it has resulted, and I know, I mean, pharmaceuticals are always a favorite punching bag of the left, but you know... They've cured a lot of diseases, and yep. you know our our. Hey, if you if you have stage four blood cancer of some kind, and you see some of the new uh, T cell therapies that are coming out there, you're going to want that because staggering success. I mean, disease being cured. Oh this yeah. Is, this is what human beings are all about: discovering stuff that improves the quality of life. And so we we know. There, there is a role, I, this is tough for someone on the right, but there's a role for government in illuminating science where there's no commercial return that could be expected. Basic blue sky, lots of dead-end science. And from that, there will be truth and knowledge, and then the, then the free market will grab that, that knowledge once the, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll commercialize it. No, I can't help uh, right. go on this one. A, a Republican who believes in science. Hey, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking here on uh, Keeping Democracy Alive with uh, anti-establishment, I think one could say, Republican candidate for yeah. governor, uh, pff, not governor, that was 98, for U.S. Senate, uh, Jim Rubens. And you, you talk about medicine and health care, and it's been some amazing stuff. If you can afford it, American healthcare is the best, no question about it. Right? Should healthcare be a right or a privilege? What What are your thoughts on, you know, socialized medicine? Yeah. Well, you got to go to my website. I've got and every issue. I have a fourteen point plan, which um, yeah, sort of Woodrow I, Wilson. Avoid in speeches uh, discussing because it's way too much. But uh, I have a segment on my website under issues: repeal and replace Obamacare. Obamacare has mm. not fixed the three core problems in U.S. health care. Number one, we have costs per person that are twice what they are elsewhere in the world under advanced nations. We pay twice as much per person for our health care, and the results we're getting put us at number 20 or number 30 in the world. We're, we're paying a lot, and we're not getting better care out of it. Number two, there are access problems. Obamacare is now seen as uh, projected to leave 30 million people uninsured. So it did, it did not solve the lack of insurance problem. And number three, the, uh, the quality I talked about. We said we need to bring quality up. We mm -hmm. have serious problems with uh, degenerative and chronic disease in this country that we've got, to, we've got to cope with. But I don't favor, do not favor the government telling us, ordering us to pay for a certain kind of insurance. Uh, we've seen this insurance. Uh, we have these Massive deductibles and co-payments. People can't afford them. Um, and again, you go to my website, you'll see 
solutions that are alternative that do not require Americans to buy any particular product that allow the free market to produce more products. This is why I support allowing insurance companies to sell insurance products across state lines mm. in favor in innovation, which I uh, has been described as long-term health insurance, sort of like term life insurance, that would encourage young people to buy insurance, not at gunpoint, <laughs> government mandate, but simply because young people you know, want to catch early dollar savings so that they uh, can save money long-term on health insurance. Bunch of other points. So. Don't don't young people generally figure? Oh, they're going to live forever. They don't need any right. health care. That's yeah, part so of that, the that's why Obamacare was structured to force yeah. young people right. to to buy insurance at, at gunpoint. Uh, not quite at gunpoint, but, but they're going to uh, come and tax you if you don't. Yeah. And 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 then they put community rating into it. And Jean Shaheen did that in New Hampshire. We used to have twenty some odd health insurance companies. She put in uh, as governor mm-hmm. community rating. We that. got down to three insurance companies. It wiped out competition. Obamacare did the same thing. They put community rating in so that young people are forced to pay a lot more so that older people pay less and that it's made it really <laughs> young people do not have much incentive to buy so they pay the fine instead right, right. so we need to design incentives into our health care insurance system and health care so that young people say even though i'm immortal i still want to buy health insurance because there could be payoff for me downstream but well, that that's an area where Jim Rubens, our guest today, and I, Bert Cohen, uh, disagree. I, I think uh, probably do. Yeah, yeah, there shouldn't yeah. be private health care, in my opinion, and that probably right. sends a shockwave to my friend here. But <laughs> we do disagree on that. Once on yeah. the right on most things, one here is generally on the left. Well, one of the things about uh, you know medicine is uh, is is drugs, and you mentioned earlier fentanyl, which has been a very deadly uh, drug, unfortunately, and get a lot of people now hooked on opioids, largely from, uh, you know, painkillers being uh, uh, over-prescribed. There's, I guess, money in that, and then, you know, the the laws just cracked down on that. I was rather shocked to hear that the Attorney General of New Hampshire recently uh, indicated he's going to crack down more uh, on a a crime basis when it comes to, to opioids. I think that's incredibly stupid myself and you know the war on drugs it i think it's been actually bipartisan you had reagan uh, involved in that and good old tip o'neill was part of the three strikes you're out i i jim i think you and i probably agree on this that it's been a terrible failure and caused nothing but but heartache and and hurt and pain and hurt the economy as well what, what do you think about uh, the uh, war on drugs and how might you differ with uh, kelly ayot on this Oh, fundamentally, uh, she's a backer of you know doubling down on the war on drugs, uh, spend more money, put it on the nation's credit card, and lock people up. I, I had a big press conference last Monday, a week ago, uh, and we played a video we put together. We got permission from the fellow who runs, uh, Wick, Rick Van Wickler, uh, is, uh, runs the Cheshire County Jail. And uh, he gave me permission, and the inmates there gave me permission to videotape oh, interesting. a two-hour interview, and we put it up on our website, jimrubens.com. And my first question to the inmates, it was a group of women inmates sitting in sitting around chairs. They were in orange. I was in black. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I asked them, why are you here? Are you here for any? Mm-hmm. How many of you here are on drug crimes? Every hand goes up. How many mm-hmm. here? How many have been in jail more than once for drug crimes? Mm-hmm. Every hand but two or three goes up. I ask them, what are you going to do when you get out of here? Mm-hmm. They're going to be. They're going to have something called a rig, which is a friend 
driving up right at the boundary line of the jail, and they're going to have a needle back in their arm. Oh, jeez. Every hand went up the second I'm out of here. Mm. The jail does not stop their addiction, okay? You can, the, the prohibition incarceration approach has simply, we spent a trillion dollars on it mm. since drug war was declared in the early 1970s mm-hmm. under President Nixon, and it has just a trillion dollars of U.S. taxpayer money, and it has not worked. So I, I have proposed that we change policies and take that money that is spent on, on prohibition incarceration and spend it on treatment. P- people who are addicted to opioids, yeah. that addiction is, is like a crab inside the brain. And mm. what works what works is a combination of therapies, often medically-assisted therapy with opioid receptor blockers like Suboxone, mm. uh, in addition to uh, counseling, uh, 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 urine tests once a month or more frequently to make sure that that people coming in for treatment are not abusing drugs. Uh, they're going to need help. People getting out of prison have a record. They can't get jobs. They don't have transportation. They don't have money even to buy the first month. There are lengthy, lengthy waiting lists to get to get uh, these these treatment services. Hmm. We need to shift so that we can learn from companies uh, countries like Switzerland how this is dealt with better, and it starts with treatment that is instantly available. When, when, and I ask these women, how quickly, how long can you wait before you relapse? Could you wait two days on a waiting list before getting into a program? No way. They're already back in. They need it within minutes or hours of when they leave prison, the, 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 the bundle of services required uh, to get people off addiction and to allow people to live a normal life and to have a job. It can be done. Switzerland has shown that it can be done. And Switzerland has a rate of opioid overdose deaths one-twentieth the rate that New Hampshire has. Mm. So the drug warriors, I, they, you know, they're coming back at me saying, Jim, we've got to keep this drug war going. You're, you're way off base. I say, oh just look at Switzerland. At least consider how is it that a, that a nation is able to achieve results so much better than we have here in New Hampshire. And... and I've, it's oh, been ahead. it's been dealt with as a crime problem, yep. isn't it? I, my sense it's a health problem, really. It's it's an addiction problem. Yes, is is where opioids are coming from, and you have, and, and addiction is. Let, let, let's let's say you had, let's say you had high blood pressure. Okay? Mm-hmm. You're not going to get locked up in a jail to make your blood pressure your high blood pressure <laughs> go away. You're going to take a listen, and and like, and this is the other thing, the comparison. When, once your brain becomes addicted to opioids, your brain chemistry is, is rewired, and you need treatment in many cases for years. And, and again, if you, if you are right. usably using blood pressure medication, we don't, or, 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 or something to, to, to treat your, uh, your high blood sugars, we're not going to take those medicines away and hope you'll become cured. Mm. There's an expectation you're going to continue using them. So this is, this is the, the approach we need to take. And, and the great thing about it for taxpayers is it saves tons of money. Oh, I'm sure. Tons of money. And then you also you reduce the transmission of disease because yeah. if, if instead of uh, someone coming out of prison, going right back to drugs, they go right back to crime. They start stealing money. They start kiting checks. People get hurt. Uh, private people, bystanders get hurt. Yeah. Disease is transmitted. AIDS is transmitted. Hep C is transmitted. Mm-hmm. All of those costs go way down 80 and 90%. And so taxpayers save money, and you can put part of that money into treatment programs, and net, it's less money. 
I wonder where the public is on that. I mean, my sense, I can't, when, when you say that people, you know, I guess Republicans criticize you for not supporting the drug war. I don't know anybody who's in favor of it. What, what's well, your some, s- some criticize, but I'm, I get a lot of positive feedback. Uh, oh, sure. You know, it, it fits in with my, my thesis that, you know, we've got so many problems in this country. The public is so frustrated that Washington cannot seem to wrap its arms around fixing problems. It's going to require some new thinking, some yeah. fresh thinking, and just sticking to what we've done in the past, dumping more money into things we've done in the past that haven't worked, yeah. uh, is is the wrong approach. We, we, we are hungering, not, not just hungering for the anti-establishment to get in to wipe out the establishment, but we're hungering for better approaches to fix problems. It requires fresh thinking. It requires opening up your mind on, on policy issues. And this, this drug war is an example. The policy has been expensive. It has failed. We need to save money. Yeah. Here's a way to do it. It's not all that complicated to treat it as a health thing. Before we yep. get on to the next subject, uh, yep. with regard to the to the war on drugs, there's a whole uh, yep. cannabis thing. It's it's becoming legal in more and more states. Uh, right. You know, you're running for federal office. There is, I believe, if I'm correct, it's on Schedule One, and there's some movement now yep. to uh, to enable the federal government to to ease up on on marijuana and let the states uh, get it under control. Which can, by the way. As I understand it, it can help a lot of people get off opioids. There, I've, I've seen evidence of that, but I, I'm in favor under the Tenth Amendment of the federal government getting out of the way and allowing states to do what they wish, like uh-huh. with alcohol, with marijuana. Uh, states can tax, regulate, and uh, legalize should they wish. Mm-hmm. I would not compel a state to do no, it, but a state not. should have that option and choice. And I'm, I'm proposing that as a means to fund the addiction treatment services we need, uh, a state like New Hampshire could choose, should it wish, to legalize, uh, regulate, and tax marijuana and use the proceeds, Absolutely. which would amount to tens of millions of dollars oh, a year, yeah. to fund the kind of very high-quality, immediately available addiction treatment program that drug addicts need. So you'd, we're increasing freedom. Uh, we know that 10% of Americans use marijuana, okay? Uh, the, the drug war, <laughs> my, my son tells me he just graduated from high school last year, Hanover uh-huh. High School. He tells me that he can get... This is last year. He could get marijuana any day he wants at Hanover High School for free. Ah. At any day and any time he wants. Okay, that's how, that's how, that's what a failure. The drug, drugs are more widely accessible and available ah. than ever before. And, and it, it, so it's, it, if you're into prohibition, even that part is not working. Absolutely amazing. When some people say, yeah. oh, you know, if we decriminalize or, or legalize, we're sending the wrong message. Well, if it's free now and they can't, I mean, I have young it's kids. It's already free, okay, in my, in my town Jeez. for kids. Okay. Oh, my God. It's I, out of control. I don't kids using marijuana. It's a bad idea. It's it a does, bad idea. It does impact upon of brain, course it does. brain development. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We need to. But, it, but it's already free, all right? It's already there. And, Unbelievable. And we've got to confront that reality. And, and what states have found that have legalized, this is interesting, States have found there has not been an increase in in any gateway drug effect or even in teen marijuana use, even in states that have legalized recreational Hmm. use. Well, interesting. Well, I find that, uh, you know, tobacco use is way down among teenagers. Why? Right. We didn't make it illegal. We educated. 
Yeah, a lot you, of education. And, but that's what we need with cannabis, yep. too, with marijuana, yep. to educate. If you just tuned in, Keeping Democracy Alive with candidate Bert Cohen here and candidate for U.S. Senate Jim Rubens running as a uh, Republican. And again, we were talking before about, uh, you know, policies largely being made in Washington by lobbyists who, you know, they just control the whole process there. And I think people on both sides of the aisle are upset about that. What what has uh, uh, Kelly Ayotte, uh, the incumbent who is running again, has she said anything about the power of lobbyists and the power of money in politics? My guess is no. Well, if you look at the uh, if you look at the campaign finance disclosure uh, sheets, you'll see where the money comes from. Uh, she's raised about ten million bucks. Wow! And if you look at that money, you see almost all of it comes from Washington. Okay, mm. so people giving people money, typically incumbents, uh, lots of millions of dollars of Washington money. And if you trace where the money is coming from, you see that it is linked. To entities that want particular policy outcomes, and uh, yes, Americans know that Congress is bought and paid for. Uh, yeah. Half of U.S. senators leave office; they become lobbyists. They're paid two or three million bucks a year. We've got a system in Washington. It's a money system that has corrupted American politics, and it's a it's a big piece of the reason why Washington can't seem to do the right thing for Americans, for the well-being of of the average American, because it's. <laughs> Incumbents are paid <laughs> through campaign contributions uh, to do what they're doing. Absolutely, uh, it's all legal. Yeah, we are. It's all legal, and it's it's a very serious problem. And I think the American public is getting it. You know that 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 uh, is really corrupting the influence of uh, how government should be. It was supposed yeah. to be government of, by, and yeah. for the people. Give an know. example. Why why would why would Kelly Ayotte re- repeatedly vote? to triple H-1B visas, okay, that we already know are being... And what again are those visas? H-1B visas, okay. This is, this is you might have seen this one, Eversource or Disney uh, uh, brought in H-1B visa people and they forced their American engineering employees to train their replacement H-1B visa workers. Uh, Intel just did that. Intel just uh, laid off about 12,000 people and they've used over the past few years H-1B visas to bring in foreigners, about 11,000 of them, to do these same jobs. And they're doing it. H-1B visas were designed so that American companies could hire people, foreign people, when you could not hire an American. Okay, the, the program is being totally abused now. It's being used solely to drive down wages. You're taking American engineers. These are good $125,000 a year jobs. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing in Indians. You're forcing Americans to train them. This is what's going on. They're abusing this program, and it's uh, Gilead has repeatedly voted for this. I'm definitely opposed to it because there are half of PhD holders in America can, in, in STEM fields. This is science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Mm-hmm. Can't get jobs. Half of them cannot get jobs wow. in the field for which they're educated. So there is no shortage of engineering talent in America. This whole, and this is driven by Washington corruption. Okay, Corporations want lower wages. Yes, of course. They see the need to have engineering talent located in the United States. Right. And they're abusing this H-1B visa program. It's, a known, it's known now. Why would a U.S. senator vote to make it worse for American engineers? Why? Well, <laughs> I 
think we know. Let me guess here. It has to do with the lobbyists funding their campaigns. It has a lot to do with the corruption in Washington, and it it flows from the money system. Uh, People are legally paid through campaign contributions to vote for policies that are adverse to the interests of, of average Americans. And this has got to change. Yeah, people are waking up here, I think. And yeah, people it, are waking up, including people, Republicans. Repu- this is something that you didn't see four or five years ago. I'm now seeing Republicans, most grassroots Republicans, now understand the money corruption in Washington. There's not agreement between right and left as to right. what to do about it yet, but there's now agreement as to the characterization of the problem. It's a system of bribery and extortion, all legal. Politicians will extort from companies. If you uh, mm. if you don't give me money, I'm I'm going to take away your tax break, oh, yeah. or I'm going to have a hearing on your tax break. That's the extortion part, and the, the the big dollar donors will 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 bribe all legal uh, candidates, oh, incumbents yeah. oh. with money should they do the bidding of the entities that can supply big money. Oh, of course. And, uh, I know. It's, uh, it's got to change. People are getting uh, fed up with that. And talk about uh, people coming into the country, at least on the Republican side. There's been a lot of talk about uh, immigration. You know, some of it, frankly, has been, I think, a little overblown, like saying no more Muslims coming in here. That's like, whoa, I can't, I can't go along with that. And Hillary Clinton was all for sending children back if they were fleeing repression in those uh, Central American countries, which I find absolutely right. appalling. But a lot of Clinton people, they don't want to see who she really is. But we could talk another hour about that. But what about immigration? Should there be a path to citizenship for people who have been here for a while, whose children have been born here? What, what's, what's your take on immigration? I'm opposed to amnesty, and we need we need uh, we need. And I know we're going to disagree on this, and oh, yeah. you know, a lot of your listeners might disagree. We need we need a border. Okay, a, a modern civilization needs to know who is coming into the country, and we need a rate of immigration. Beginning at about 1970, we we dramatically increased the rate of legal immigration into America to about a million people per year. Okay, and there is an absorptive capacity to every country including the United States, when immigrants are welcomed, they integrate uh, and become assimilated into American culture, uh, come here because they enjoy and appreciate that, learn the language, etc. And when you exceed the rate, the assimilative capacity rate of a, of a country or a region or a city, you wind up with enclaves, you wind up with, with disharmony, you wind up with reduced levels of trust and an and advanced stage of this you can see in Europe, around Europe's major cities, when immigration was just beyond the ability to assimilate. And we have got to that point in the United States now. And and when you when you allow too much immigration beyond that assimilative mm-hmm. capacity, mm-hmm. you wind up not only having social problems, you wind up depressing American wages. So immigration needs, and it, it's a Wonderful thing because we bring in foreign cultures. We have look at right. the look at the changes in the food we have in the country. Oh, yeah. Look at the look at the breadth and expansiveness of 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 of, of our knowledge of and embrace of foreign cultures. It's a great thing. But when you get beyond, when you're up at a million a year, which is what this policy since 1970 has been in the U.S., you wind up overtaxing tolerances and you wind up driving down wages. Well, one of the reasons, and uh, and so this gang of eight bill, uh, Kellyatt swore she wouldn't vote for it. And not only was it amnesty, it was a bill that would allow thirty million additional legal immigrants 
into the country over a 10-year period. It would flood the country, and it would clearly depress wages and clearly displace American workers. Oh, that can't be popular with too many Republicans in uh, New Mm -hmm. Hampshire, I wouldn't think. (laughs) Uh, Beltway Republicans love it, okay, because... It depresses wages, sure. What? Because it depresses wages, for sure. What the heck? Yeah. You know, if you can pay people less, <laughs> yep. isn't that great? That's exactly what they want. And, of course, one of the reasons that people are, there's so many uh, refugees these days is some really tough situations, particularly in Syria, which the U.S., frankly, had a lot to do with. Right. Syria and Iraq and yep. places like that. Yeah. There are a great many approaches. I'm going to come back to Hillary Clinton on this. She... Berlin Wall comes down. Give a little. This is a very short thumbnail history. Berlin, Berlin Wall comes down. We've defeated Russia, so the new world order comes in. Bill Clinton, when he was president, implemented a new role for American military policy. Instead of defending America, defeating uh, uh, defeating foes and enemies that were that were had an existential threat against America, and that was Russia at the time. We shifted to nation building. We shifted to the approach where we could we could impose upon and bring democracy and democratic values to countries all over the world at the point of a gun and with right. bombs dropping from airplanes. Okay, yeah. we have conducted, and these are Bill and Hillary Clinton's nation building wars. We've conducted over ten of them since Bill Clinton implemented this policy. Hmm. Okay? Every single one of them has failed. We have failed to bring democracy to these countries. We have failed to bring prosperity and peace. The two most recent, uh, just in, in, in the last basically six years, uh, I mentioned Libya already, oh, yeah. and, and, and you, you mentioned Syria, Iraq, okay? Mm, terrible. We, had, we have Assad there, dictator, horrible person, mm-hmm. uh, maintained, maintained calm uh, at, at gunpoint uh, using going as, as far as genocide, but that country was not a threat to the United States of America. So Hillary Clinton wants to get involved over in Syria and, and Iraq, wants to take out Assad, so we're going to get involved. The Pentagon warned these people, yes. warned them in advance, if you work to take out Assad, you will create a caliphate. Okay, That will be the end result. You will create a power vacuum, yep. and the people coming in, and that's exactly what happened. Absolutely. So Hillary Clinton, drum-beating for Libya, failure, ISIS operating there, oh, yeah. drum-beating to get involved in Assad over in Syria, and same same problem. They were warned in advance, do not do this, it will create more chaos. ISIS is operational in eight countries. And Kelly Ayat, and this is a Republican, cheerleading for Hillary Clinton's failed nation-building wars. Americans, uh, Americans are not safer as a result of this. We need a different foreign policy, one acknowledging the fact that you're not going to, at gunpoint and under the threat of bombs, mm-hmm. turn people who have a tribal style of politics right. into Democrats. Ain't Democrats. Yep. We have proven that that will not work. No. So what what can I mean ISIS has been built up tremendously I I believe as we the have re- to deal with ISIS now okay these 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 war hawks these mm-hmm. nation building war hawks mm-hmm. they're they're unstoppable they, they need to be reined in and we need policies that will now protect us against the blowback which is ISIS so yes. I've, I have a, another fourteen point plan on my website but it begins it begins by cutting off the funding for radical terrorism. 
radical Islamic terrorism. Saudi Arabia, number one. Yes. Saudi Arabia is the world's leading funder of terror ideology, Wahhabism. Mm-hmm. They, they fund 20 to 30,000 madrasas around the world, including in the U.S. and in Europe and throughout the Middle East, which preach and teach this doctrine of hatred that people who have different religious views need to be killed. Okay? Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia is supposedly our ally. We have got to tell them, stop funding terror ideology. Turkey, NATO member, Turkey. Oh, yes. so-called ally. Mm. Turkey is run by Erdogan and his son, runs the black market through Turkey over the northern Syrian border, by which black market oil, yep. antiquities, human trafficking, flows money into ISIS. We've got to tell Turkey, our so-called ally, stop funding terror. So it begins by cutting off the money. We've got to, we've got to stop promulgation of the ideology. We've got to run, a, uh, in essence, a, uh, a war, a social media war, to, to stop the spreading of, of this stuff. It should happen in the private sector. I believe there's a role for the federal government in, in contravening this message of hate spread over the Internet by these people. Uh, those are two pieces of my 14-point plan. There's a lot more. But in terms of uh, keeping America safe, I mean, we've had yep. these bombings, you know, in, in Paris and in Brussels. Yeah. Uh, what, what, I mean, I think you're talking some, some long-term approaches there. What, what can work, do you think? I mean, clearly what we're doing now isn't working. Well, it's just kind of building well, them up. We now, we now have remote control terror, and we have, uh, we have uh, you know, lone wolf terror happening in the yes. U.S. and Europe. Clearly yes. it's got to be dealt with. Yeah. And, uh, what I don't favor is spying on innocent Americans, uh-huh. contravening the Fourth Amendment. That has proven not to work. It hasn't helped. Not what I do recommend, and, and this is where I might have differences with Democrats, I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, uh, people should be armed. And American citizens, if you see, and this is, I'm referring to San Bernardino here, mm-hmm. if you see bomb-making materials in the living room of your rental apartment, by all means, report it to the authorities. Do you, you think? You see in your eyes... <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we don't need to spy on Americans, but if, if as an American, you see suspicious stuff happening, yeah. report it to the authorities quickly. And I, but we, don't, we don't have that many minutes left, but I wanted to yep. talk about uh, yep. the, the so-called social conservatives. Uh, today, yep. I, they call themselves conservatives. I don't see them as conservatives, cause, but they're kind of right-wing radicals. Uh, there's this whole so-called religious liberty movement, which would allow for discrimination of gays or anybody one claims to be, uh, you know, if their religion doesn't approve of equal rights for gays. What about this whole uh, social conservative so-called stuff? Where is Kelly at? Where are you on this stuff? The, these, these are issues where there's uh, disagreement, fundamental disagreement, uh, and I think irreconcilable disagreement among parts of the American populace. And so... It's true. You have competing constitutional protections. You have, on the one hand, you have the constitutional protection against discrimination. It right. is unconstitutional to discriminate against people because of age, uh, gender, uh, disability, uh, skin color, race, and we've accepted these things. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've broadened this under the Supreme Court to include uh, right. sexual uh, preference. Right. Um, that is a constitutional protection. We have another constitutional protection in the First Amendment uh, for people to practice religion as they see fit. So you have competing constitutional doctrines that, that, that 
that create uh, that create conflict yeah. over whether, for example, a, uh, a cake maker should be obligated right. to sell a cake to a gay couple. Mm-hmm. Um, this these issues will wind up having to be resolved. Uh, uh, probably up at the Supreme Court or through a constitutional amendment. I, I see this going to the Supreme Court. So um, yeah, I, I don't be. have necessarily an answer. I can only speak to my own mm-hmm. my own values. Uh, uh, I would vote against uh, funding for Planned Parenthood, um, and not that I'm in favor of banning all abortions. Uh, we have Roe versus Wade. I'm mm-hmm. not in favor of removing the right of a woman to have abortions under Roe v. Wade. On the other hand, I would not compel people because life does begin at conception. Human life begins at conception, and abortion is the taking of a human life. So I would not force any individual to have to pay for right. someone else's abortion. Well, yet another thing we disagree on. But we disagree. <laughs> on, we disagree on that. How are you going to beat Kelly A? She's got, as you say, ten million dollars. Can she be beaten? Do you think? What's What's your sense? What Why do you think she's well, vulnerable? Yeah, I I come back to uh, I come back to Eric Cantor. And uh, and Dave Bratt in Virginia uh, three years ago. Yeah, uh, Eric Cantor was taken out by this guy named Dave Bratt, and, and Dave Bratt was and this is a Republican primary in Virginia. Yes. Dave Bratt was behind ten points in the polls on election day, the day he won. Mm, wow. <laughs> and uh, well, people like David versus Goliath. You know, let's face yeah, it. David <laughs> versus Goliath. But the other thing is, conservatives in the state have just about completely abandoned Kelly Ayotte because of her voting pattern. Uh, Again, she's voted for amnesty and open borders, voted for vast amounts of debt, rated Social Security by $150 bucks, took away the debt limit ceiling uh, so that government can accumulate as much debt as it wants over the next year year or two. Hmm. Uh, She has voted for TPP, bad trade deals that that drive wages down. Yeah, she voted for Planned Parenthood funding, which drives mm, you know people who are social conservatives nuts. It's, uh, mm. She said she wouldn't do that, and did it. Uh, she's drum beating, cheerleading for Hillary Clinton's failed nation-building wars that have spread terrorism and uh, made Americans less safe as a result of lone wolf activity that's flowed from this. Well, it is an interesting year. There's an awful lot of issues that the, the, yep. the political establishment is really being shaken up. I'm, I'm, right. And, and yep. you are part of that. JimRubens.com, is that where to go to? Or Jim that Rubens? is where you can go to learn more, yeah. And it's R-U-B-E-N-S. R-U-B-E-N-S, like the painter, yeah. You can get involved in my oh, campaign. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously anti-establishment. You can probably pick that up right now. I'm a yeah. thoughtful person. Yes. I am a conservative, yes. uh, but there is there there so many voters are disenfranchised now. Yeah. Well, it will be interesting. I can assure you yep. I will not be voting for Kelly Ayotte in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Jim Rubens, thanks so much for being with us. JimRubens.com for more information. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And, uh, you know, he is uh, a political man.
Субтитры